Before we begin, if you're listening on the day of release, which is July 2nd, 2020, this is just a quick message to spread the word that tomorrow, July the 3rd, Bandcamp are waiving their fees in a measure to support independent artists during the COVID-19 crisis. Bravo to them. It's a great thing for them to be doing. What it means is anything you pay on Bandcamp on July the 3rd, 100% of the money goes direct to the artist. Most of the bands and artists that I play on this show have a Bandcamp page where they sell their music. That includes today's featured artist, Chris Christodoulou. As I'm sure you know, unless you're world famous, you're unlikely to make any significant revenue from streaming services. Often you'll make nothing at all. That's why it's especially important to recognise an artist's need to pay the bills at this time. As a result of the pandemic, many musicians have been financially impacted by gigs being cancelled, there's loss of employment, etc, etc, etc. I myself have two audiobooks on Bandcap, 100 and Everything I Am. If you fancy supporting Ragbag in some small way financially, tomorrow would be a good day to download those audiobooks. They are very good. And they're set to name your price. So if you don't have the money to spare, you can download them anyway. If you're listening in the future, just ignore this bit, obviously. Remember, 2020, listeners of the future. Crazy days, right? Yeah. Right, let's do this. Welcome to Ragbag. My name's Frank Burton. I'm back and still alive. And if you missed the special announcement I made a while ago, Ragbag has a new look. It's audio, Frank. Okay, listen then. Ragbag has a new listen. You know what I mean. So we're going to have a special guest on every week. So in the second half of today's show, I'll be taking a quick trip to Athens to talk to top video game composer Chris Christodoulou. Here's one of the things he's going to be saying to me. If I said, what are my influences on writing music, then I would say 50% is music and the other 50% is the people I talk to, the books I read, uh, the walks I take the podcasts I listen to, uh, the movies I see, you know, things like that. It's, there's a lot of stuff that you need to, to experience and bring into your art to, to make it interesting and make it unique and make it something that is yours. Watch out for that. Thanks to Benedict for standing in last time. I'm sure you did a good job, mate. I haven't had time to listen. I've had a lot going on. Having come quite close to death and having cheated it in the way that I did, I've had something of a revelation, listeners, and I'd like to tell you all about it in good time. Let's have a tune. Oh, I'm fine, by the way. I'm still alive and all that. Yeah, just thought I'd better confirm that. So, there you have it. Stay tuned. It's a download, Frank. It's not radio. Oh, you get the point. Keep listening to the download. Yeah. 
struggle with a cause and it coming with a force. I'm a rebel with a cause and it coming with a force. Right, now there's a whole bunch of shout-outs to get through. Jan says, hope you're all right. Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Oh, you mean because I was almost killed. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm all right. Got out of hospital last week and all that. There's a bunch of other ones. Can't be bothered to read them all out. I'll jump straight to my favourite one. Miles in Coventry says, I'm a ragbag superfan. Good for you, Miles. So am I. Ragbag Alliance all the way. Miles continues. I particularly like your various catchphrases. If there's ever an opportunity to use one of them, I jump right in. I appreciate that, Miles. I do that too. Miles says, One time, I was walking past a beauty salon. The words popped into my head and I just couldn't help myself. I stuck my head through the open door and shouted, Hey! I admire your foot spa. I made a hasty exit and continued on my way, but then one of the ladies from the salon came running after me. She called out, Ragbag? I stopped and turned with a smile. That lady is now my wife. <laughs> uh, Uh, <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. That's just wonderful stuff. One, I mean, I'm sure it's a made-up story. You're probably not even called Miles. I'm sorry. I know that stranger things have happened, but there's something about that tale of yours that doesn't quite hang together. However, I do think ending the story with the words, that lady is now my <laughs> that lady is now my wife, 
is inspired stuff. Let's make that the catchphrase. As a matter of fact, please can everyone from now on, when you're sending me an email, whatever it's about, please just end it with the words, that lady is now my wife, or that man is now my husband, or that person is now my life partner, whatever works best for you. Now, let me tell you about the epiphany I had in hospital. I was lying half asleep in my bed, drugged up to the eyeballs probably, and I started thinking about the podcast. And I thought about some of the recent episodes like The Roast of Everything where I spent the whole time just making jokes and I realised I like making jokes. Yeah, I enjoy it. So I've decided that I am going to become a world-famous comedian. Don't laugh. Well, do laugh, obviously. I think that's the point of, um, what do they call it? Com- comedy, yeah. I-, I think that's the point of comedy. So what I'd like to do now, listeners, is tell you some jokes. I'm a bit nervous. Okay, stage fright. Listen, some of these are a little bit rough around the edges, and this is my first try at doing... Yeah, my first try at doing comedy. So let's just see how we get on, right? All right, here's the jokes. I went for a walk in the park the other day. It was a walk in the park. There was a light wind. It was a breeze. Then I went home and had a piece of cake. I liked it. I once witnessed a fight between the Pet Shop Boys and the Charlatans. Although they were outnumbered, the Pet Shop Boys totally wiped the floor with their opponents. Neil Tennant literally knocked the lead singer of the Charlatans out with one punch. He was very concerned about him afterwards. He looked up at his bandmate Chris Lowe with a pained expression and said, What have I? What have I? What have I done to Tim Burgess? My friend Algernon is a farmer. He has 400 cows, 300 sheep and 6 chickens. That's a paltry amount. My friend Adrienne just published a new collection of sonnets but there's only three of them. That's a poetry amount. I have three potatoes left in my food storage cupboard. That's a pantry amount. I know this bloke who runs an environmental scaffolding company. Instead of metal they use these long thin branches from a tree that grow perfectly straight. It's a really good tree. He's only got one of them though. That's a poultry amount. I've got three friends with the same first name. Paul Smith, Paul Jones and Paul Montkowski. Three Pauls. That's a poultry amount. Enough of that. I went to a cocktail bar the other day and asked to see the drinks menu. The barman said, we don't do drinks, just explosive devices. Turns out it was a Molotov cocktail bar. I'm on a seafood diet. I eat seafood. I was working in a vineyard picking grapes one summer. Not a bad job, but my co-workers turned out to be incredibly bitchy. There was a pair of them 
saying some really nasty things about me, not realising I was standing a few feet away, obscured from their view by the foliage. I confronted them later on, said I knew what they'd been saying about me. They said, oh yeah, how do you know? I said, I heard it through the grapevine. I once shared a flat with a skin surgeon. I was working in a library at the time, which is harder than it looks, by the way. I got home one evening and I said, that was eight hours hard graft. He said, really? What kind of graft? Split thickness or composite? Those are types of skin graft there. He was a skin surgeon. Keep up. If a picture is worth a thousand words, I pity whoever's been given the job of writing the novelization of Instagram. If you think actions speak louder than words, you've obviously never played charades with my Uncle Claude. Just say it, mate. It's quicker. Don't shut the stable door after the horse has bolted unless you have some other horses you're keeping in there, in which case, shut the stable door. I had a talking door once, artificial intelligence prototype. Used to tell me how it hated being a door, how depressed he was. He was even thinking of turning himself off in the first ever AI suicide. He was an unstable door. I've had this new equipment installed around at my place. Every time you walk in the room it plays light my fire or break on through to the other side. It's called automatic doors. My mother told me never to talk with my mouth full. I said my mouth is always full even if it's just full of air. I didn't actually say it out loud because I was an obedient young man. I was mute for the next seven years until finally a child psychologist explained it was just a figure of speech. And then I got a bit stuck on the idea of there being a figure of speech. As a child of the 80s, I very much associated the word figure with plastic toy. He-Man figure, Star Wars figure, that sort of thing. So how can you have a plastic toy of speech? Then I was referred to a different child psychologist who explained to me that figure of speech is just a thing people say, you know, as a way of saying something. She was a good child psychologist, a very good child psychologist. Eight years old she was. She'll have grown up by now, she'll be an adult psychologist I guess. Speaking of things you were told as a child that you later questioned... Jack and the Beanstalk is a story about a victim of consumer fraud stealing gold from a disabled man. Think about it. You can't fault the logic on that. We all like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, but you have to feel sorry for all the dwarfs that didn't make the final cut. Wistful. Sarcastic. Hyperbolic. Conscientious. Supercilious, winsome, and remarkably tall. The dwarves who didn't make the final cut there. You know, the thing about the three little pigs is, although that straw house may have been structurally unsound, you have to admire the craftsmanship that went into its construction. Could you construct an entire house from straw? I think not. 
Parents, please bear that in mind when you're reading that story to your kids. Add a couple of lines in yourself. And the big bad wolf blew the straw house down, destroying its expert craftsmanship. And don't get me started on firemen's poles. As a child, I was led to believe that when there's an emergency, instead of just using the stairs at the fire station, they slide down a big metal pole to get to the ground quicker. As a child, I was like, yeah, fine, that makes sense. Also, it sounds like fun. Then you get a bit older and you start to question it, don't you? Do they really do that? Seems a bit weird. For one thing, you could easily fall off and break your back. If firefighters really do slide down poles, how many people get injured each year and then sue the fire department for every penny they've got? That must be about 80% of their annual budget, out of court settlements for people falling off the pole, including the ones who weren't even doing it during an emergency. They were just bored and fancied a bit of fun. Secondly, how much time are they saving? How long does it take to leg it down a flight of stairs? Thirdly, if fireman's pose really are the best way of helping a response team launch itself into action, why is it only fire services that use them? What about police officers? Where are all the paramedics' poles? Or even people who deal with lesser emergencies? IT support staff, give them a pole. Or even just a job where there's no real emergency at all. Imagine going into the post office and saying, I need to renew my driving license or something. And they're like, yeah, Graham has the correct form for that. He's just upstairs. Here he comes now. And down slides Graham. Way! I don't know. I never really got on with the fireman's pole in the playground as a kid. Couldn't quite get the technique right. I'd much rather use the slide. That's what they should have, a fireman's slide. Forget all this pole nonsense. Have a helter-skelter that deposits you right in the back of the fire engine, ready to go. <laughs> Not a bad idea, actually. I'll add that to the inventions list. Now back to the jokes. Time is money. Well, it is if your name's Rolex. Sticking it to the Rolex family frag. Nice one, yeah. Time is also a healer. So, in other words, a healer is money. That flies when you're having fun. And it will tell. That's another thing it does. Tells. I always thought my dad worked in banking. He took me to work with him one day during the school holidays. I was expecting him to be based in some high-powered office in the city. But no, turns out he worked in a warehouse. And his job was to pull various bits of merchandise out of their boxes and smash it or break it in half. I said, what is all this, Dad? I thought you were a stockbroker. Breaker, he said. Stock breaker. My uncle was a building control officer. I never really knew what that involved until he took me to work one day. It turns out his job involved going from one building to another. He'd stand outside the building, he'd look it up and down, and he'd shout, I've got my eye on you, sunshine. You need to book your ideas up. Don't get sloppy. Sloppy. That was another dwarf that didn't make the final cut. 
My grandmother was a lecturer, not as a job, it was more of a personality trait. Lecturer, yeah, that's another one of those dwarfs. My other grandmother was a private detective. I don't know exactly what she did. Didn't know anything about her, in fact. Wouldn't even tell me her name. She was a very private detective. My grandfather was a PR man. I always thought PR stood for public relations, and it usually does. But in his case, it stood for pigeon rustler. My other grandfather was a QA analyst. I always thought QA stood for quality assurance, and it usually does. But in his case, it stood for quite angry. Another dwarf, Frag? No, it's not another dwarf, actually. There isn't a dwarf for every single characteristic. That would be ridiculous. I had an aunt who was a TV producer. Not TV for television, TV for teak vase. She was a producer of teak vases, a vase maker, if you will. I said to her once, why don't you just call yourself a vase maker and save all the confusion? She said, why would I do that when people keep sending me their scripts? Some of them are quite promising. My next door neighbour worked for HMRC, Herman Melville Readers Club. He lasted a couple of years. There's only a certain number of times you can discuss Moby Dick before it starts getting repetitive. So he got a job at HSBC, the Hopscotch and Belly Dancing Collective. That was a bit weird, so he left there. His next job was for the FBI, the Fernando Barnes Initiative. You see, there's this bloke called Fernando Barnes, proper lazy guy, you know, won't do anything off his own back. So the Fernando Barnes initiative was set up in order to persuade Fernando Barnes to do something under his own initiative. But he wouldn't listen, so he left that job too. He left the FBI, went straight for a job in the CIA. You know the CIA, yeah? Can't imagine aeroplanes. It's a thing. It's a real thing, it's like a medical condition. If you've got the condition, you've got a regular imagination and you can imagine most things, but you can't imagine aeroplanes. Just so we're clear, CIA is not the name of the condition. The condition is named after the doctor who discovered it, whose name coincidentally was Terence Jett. So it's called Terence's Syndrome. Um, CIA it's the name of the charitable organisation which was set up in order to help people who are experiencing Terence's Syndrome. It really is as simple as that, straightforward as you like. You might have it yourself, you know. There's a simple test you can do yourself at home. Imagine an aeroplane. So anyway, he left the FBI and now he works in a hairdresser's. Oh dear. I wanted to finish off with a punchline that went, that lady is now my wife. I really tried. I honestly did. But seriously, and now he works in the hairdressers is the closest I could get. I obviously still have a lot to learn. Still learning the ropes with all this jokes business. You know, I mean, hard game to get into. Thanks for bearing with me. I'll work on something for next time that ends with that line. To be honest, 
I do think those jokes were very, very good. I've peaked, and that's the problem. I think that's the... Yeah. You know what? I think that's the end of my comedy career. Lasted 20 minutes. But that was a decent 20 minutes, right? Decent 20 minutes. But I will work on something for next time. Something that ends with that line. Our favourite line. And then back to business as usual. Whatever that is, right? After this next tune, I'll be talking to Chris Christodoulou, this week's featured artist, because that's what we do now. We have a guest on the show every week. You are going to like this one. Ragbag recommends now is another one from the Brit Pod scene. Um, stable, stable, stable. The Brit Pod scene, stable. Yeah, Brit Pod scene. That's enough of that. This podcast is called Number One Rerun. 
here's a recording that tells you all about number one rerun. How'd you like that? Hello, this is a shameless promo for number one rerun podcast. We are Zoe and Carla, and each episode we get pop culture nostalgic after asking the listeners one simple question. Give us a date. That's right. Submit a date of your choice and you can hear anecdotes like the following. A little bit. I know he married Paula Abdul and then that was the end of him. What was the uh, um, reality thing she did? Oh, she did American, American Idol. Idol, but before American Idol, I mean, she danced with a cat, which is weird. Because why was she going out with a cartoon cat? No, more to the point, she slept in a bed with the cat, Carla. She did lots with that cat. And you know what? You hear scandals about other people. Nothing's ever come out about that, which I find weird. Available free because you wouldn't pay for it on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean or anywhere else you can find podcasts. So that's number one rerun. Check it out. It's entertaining. It's a little bit different. And it's a lot of fun. This week's featured artist is Chris Christodoulou, a video game composer based in Athens, who also happens to be a very interesting and inspirational guy. You're going to enjoy listening to what he has to say, but first, let's hear some of his music. Here's one of his most recent releases from Risk of Rain 2. This track is called Into the Doldrums.
I'm not sure if my music is video gamey in any sense because I don't know if I've ever aimed to write video gamey music. I just felt like, okay, this game evokes this kind of feeling, has this kind of imagery, has this kind of story. So I'm gonna write music for this, but on a more experiential level, you know, like how will this music make you feel that it's coming from this world and not that, okay, we need a 35 second loop here to play while, I, while I'm going through this level, you know. Yeah, so because this has been my approach, I'm, I don't know if my music is video gamey, but, but I'm sure that to a gamer, I'm sure it would sound video gamey because also video game music at this point is nothing more than music that is in a video game. There's nothing else that breaks it apart from, you know, we have jazz music, we have rock music, we have heavy metal, we have electronic, we have... I don't know, vaporware, we have a, a, a classical, of course, orchestras. So there's, there's no disconnect in, in that aspect. There, any kind of music that you may imagine might be in a video game at this point. So the, the medium is the only thing that you know, makes it identifiable as video game music, I guess. I got into music, I was really young, I think, but it was also kind of a common thing in, uh, at least in my town and kids my age. I think I must have been eight or something when I started like going to my first like local uh, music school uh, for piano lessons and uh, it was kind of a weird start because at first it was almost like an obligatory thing, like y you're gonna, you know, go learn English and uh, do music lessons. Our parents kind of, um, not forced us, but they thought it is a good idea to, you know, for the kids to have a music skill because it's, you know, kind of expands your horizon a little bit. It's, a, it's an art. I started, I didn't, I didn't get to it immediately. It was not like I'm, I don't have a story where I was, I'm like, uh, you know, started whistling in the bathtub when I was two and then, you know, I don't have this kind of story. It was like I just got music lessons. Eventually, I, I was good at it, but as good as I could be without really studying ever. Just like basically going to the lessons and picking up from the teacher and uh, with minimal study. And uh, at some point I really, when I was like in high school or something, I don't remember, I thought, okay, I, need, I don't wanna do music lessons anymore. I wanna stop, I'm kind of bored of it. Of it. I was getting a bit stressed uh, because not studying wasn't cutting it anymore and I was spending a lot of time in the classroom just playing the same piece over and over. But eventually I got, kind of got over it and then uh, in my late, high school years, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of, start, I'm starting to liking this because I was getting more familiar with music composition and I was getting into bands and that was more fun. And at that point, 
I was facing either, you know, real hard study to become, I don't know, like a proper profession or becoming a musician. And becoming a musician was something that felt, at that point, felt natural to me. It was, it felt like I understand how this thing works. And I was also kind of one of those kids that, weirdly enough, was really into uh, theory, music theory, which most of the kids hated it, but I, it, it immediately clicked for me. After I started doing like serious theory lessons, I was like, okay, now I, now I see what this is. Now I see that, you know, I can use this to, to write music that is original and stuff. And I was never one of those people that were like rebelling against the rules. I was kind of uh, actually seeing all the rules as a, a very good tool. Once you have grasp of the rules, that's the only way that you can, you know, be actually original. Because if you don't know the rules, then you can't even break them. You're just kind of, you know, you're doodling. You're throwing colors on a canvas or something without purpose. If, if there is no purpose, it felt like kind of weird. Uh, so after I finished high school, I went to like the big conservatory in the in Athens, like the capital. I left my hometown for that, and that was like my studies. You know, I went into, and my studies were not piano or drums or whatever the instruments I was playing at the time. Where they were theory. It was like music theory, and then I did actually no theory. I had already done. I did harmony and I did counterpoint which is like music of the Renaissance and stuff, and then instrumentation and composition. And eventually, after all that, I went to Amsterdam to do uh, film music uh, masters there. Uh, but during this whole time, and especially in my teen years and beyond, I was a gamer, and I used to play a lot of games, uh, first with my friends, and later they kind of got over it, but I always kept at it. and. I was also a very big fan of technology, being in front of a computer from a quite young age. That was something my, my dad did for us. He bought us a computer when I was really young and it really captivated me. Uh, so the computer was the place I would, you know, have fun with the games and stuff. But also it was immediately I saw it, oh, okay, this is a tool that I can use to write music and be creative and I don't need anyone else and I can, you know, kind of compose and then I was also fascinated by production, like the other aspect. I liked uh, film music and stuff, but it was actually just th towards my goal to become a, a game composer. So I was kind of uh, always in the back of my head, I had this target. And uh, during my time in Amsterdam, a lot of things like the stars aligned in a sense, in, in, in the sense that when I was 18 years old, uh, a boy in Athens, the, becoming a game composer was not a dream that could become a reality. It was just like a very, it was like, it was as, as crazy as saying I was going to be a rock star. Because the, the internet wasn't there, Bandcamp wasn't there, so you can, you know, sell your music and make money of it. There wasn't, uh, you couldn't communicate with a team in the US or, the, or Germany or whatever, and, and, and Greece doesn't have like a big uh, gaming uh, scene. So, like about 10, it was around like 2010 or something like that. I realized that, okay, now I can actually do this. And I started, you know, sending email. I was more into the industry, kind of looking at it from the inside at that point and pursue it 
more purposefully. And uh, yeah, I, I managed to, to find a team that was looking for a composer and uh, that all ended up being the, the Sea Will Claim Everything, my first uh, game soundtrack. And from that it was kind of not, not easy, but it, it was easier. I had put my foot in the door and was like, okay, now I'm here too. And uh, I can write music for, for your games. And one, basically one game led into another. And I'm kind of... Uh, this is mainly what I do now. I write music for video games. Even though I've made a few games, it's still hard to, to advance at some point and, and uh, break certain barriers in the industry. But um, before I was actually in the industry, the way for me was, you know, looking for gigs at forums, at blog posts with, of, de of developers, on Twitter, people that, you know, would announce we're doing this and this game, following kind of the community as much as I could and sending literally hundreds of emails like here I am this is my you know like more small portfolio here's my link to to my SoundCloud and it's it's not a joke that out of a hundred emails you usually get like 10 or 5 replies and uh, like most of them are thank you we'll you know put you on a list or thank you for the contact we're not looking at this time or we already have another person. It's, it's like that and it just goes on for, for a long time. But, you know, eventually you, you get, you get the, the one person that is like, oh yeah, I'm looking for, for, for a game composer at this time and I, and I like your job and your work and, uh, you know, um, let's, let's see what we can do. And after you get a couple of first gigs, then you have something to show for. You have, you know, you have a published soundtrack. It's a bit more, it's easier to, for a person to, to take you more seriously and to, you know, take a look into your work when you have something to, to show and say, okay, here's the game I did, here's the soundtrack. Um, and it, it just, you just build on that. And, you know, you, you also learn a little bit how the industry works. So you might, you know, send a bit of more, uh, a more targeted email, for example. You know, you see a project and you see, okay, they're looking for this kind of music, so I'm not gonna send them my portfolio or something, I'm gonna write something. I'm gonna make a quick, quick demo that is specifically for their game, so I'm gonna pitch to them immediately, you know, it's, and it gets a bit different. And you also start, if you are a little bit lucky, you start receiving uh, emails from people and saying I've heard your work on this and I'm making this game and I think we might be a good fit so do you want to join and then you you know you start evaluating the projects or or taking them if, if you're young enough and you're looking for uh, you know work and stuff uh, yeah that's that's kind of how it goes I, I'm guessing it's with most freelance work that's more or less how it goes there there there's no specific thing that I can tell you that, okay, do this and this and this and this will lead you to, you know, having work in the gaming industry as whatever.
I really like what you said on your website in the FAQs in response to the question, how do I become a game composer too? You said, stop listening to game music and start reading. I'm at this position now where I'm semi-known enough to get email from aspiring composers. And I noticed this trend kind of immediately that I see a lot of people that don't they want to become game composers because they see, you know, a couple of big names and they see, okay, this is a nice uh, way to make a living or something. And they are a little bit maybe dazzled by the celebrity or something. And they feel that, okay, I can also put a bunch of loops together and make a song, which is kind of a, a lot of music is done that way now, uh, unfortunately. And I see that there's no, pe- people don't, spend a lot of time like studying and uh and and being being becoming human and having experience to feed into their art you know they're kind of like they they're looking for a how to become a game composer for dummies essentially and why i say stop listening to video game music is because there's nothing wrong with video game music in fact there's a lot of great video game music just like there's a lot of great any kind of music, whatever uh, you know, genre or uh, you know, identifier you wanna attach to to the to music before. But the thing is, if you're focusing on one thing, game music is, has has this thing that is, it has a specific purpose, you know, and um, there's also a lot of technical things about it. So if you're if you're musical feedback is only from playing games then you don't know you don't know music you don't have an expanded horizon you, uh, and i don't think there are good game composers out there who are not listening to other music it's not like you it's not like you don't have to know what happens in games you need to know that and be aware of what's the state of music in games and what's the history of it but you also need to have influences you know you need to you need to to bring stuff into the table and you can't do that if you're only you know listening to whatever game is hot right now and and the part of about reading is that i very strongly believe that to do any kind of art you need to to be whole as a person and reading is one of the primary things that can help you achieve that so you know it's also about kind of expanding your horizons, but even beyond music at this point, but anything. And to be honest, when I say read, what I usually mean, and when I when I reply to people that tell me, you know, how to become a, a game composer, whatever, I say, you need to, you know, like my personal influence, if I if I said, what, what are my influences on writing music, then I would say 50% is music, and the other 50% is the people I talk to, the books I read, uh, the walks I take, the podcasts I listen to, uh, the movies I see, you know, things like that. It's, there's a lot of stuff that you need to, to experience and bring into your art to, to make it interesting and make it unique and make it something that is yours, you know. So that's, that's, the, that's the point behind that, essentially.
you won't find an album of mine that says title X and parentheses original video game soundtrack. I don't do this and I do this very specifically because I don't want to release a bunch of assets that I've put in a game, I've sent to people to put in a game and then, you know, drag and drop them into a folder and call it a soundtrack. My thought behind the albums is that they are actually albums, that they are a collection of, of music pieces that, first of all, they are music pieces and they are not, you know, like loops or something that uh, I may have used, um, you know, I, I will might write a music piece, make a loop out of it and send it to the people to put it in the game, but this is not what it's going to end up in the album. In the album is going to be a proper music piece with a beginning, a middle and an end, and uh, that's one of the things. And then the second thing is that all of them make sense as an album, which is kind of why I spend a lot of time thinking about uh, sequ sequence of the album, you know, like uh, which track will come after which, because my, my goal is that a person that will spend money on my music, they will take this thing and they can, you know, push play on the first track and spend I don't know, 45 minutes or something and uh, and have an experience with it and take them through a journey, whatever that is. And uh, that's why I won't have titles like main theme or character X goes through level X, you know, or uh, the battle uh, arena or things like that. And uh, And why I don't care about you know, the order that the tracks appear in the game, I, I completely disregard it and I just put them in the in an order that makes musical sense to me. Stuff like that. This is kind of, you know, this is a, a, a purposeful thing. And I always pay attention to when I'm writing a game soundtrack, I'm, I'm constantly thinking this will need to function both within the album but also within the game. So this is kind of, a, yeah, the, the thing behind that. Because the people that, you know, the people who want to find the soundtrack, they're going to Google Game X soundtrack and you don't need to have a parenthesis that says original soundtrack because you can, you, you can use tags for that. That's what, what our tags are for. You, you, the title is enough to get you there. I will recommend some of my favorite soundtracks and I'll try to to be a bit, I don't know, varied in genres and eras, let's, let's say. So one of the first game soundtracks that I want to recommend is uh, to listen to is the soundtrack for Grim Fandango, which is a, a jazz soundtrack written by Peter McConnell. It's a game released in 1998, an adventure game. It has a brilliant soundtrack, which it has been a huge influence uh, uh, to me. Uh, I listen to it quite often. I consider it one of the best. It has been recently, the game has recently been uh, remastered and parts of the soundtrack can, have been remastered. So you can now find it on Spotify and stuff. 
this this is a, uh, definitely worth the time. I would say one one soundtrack that is just blissful to listen to is the soundtrack for the video game Machinarium or Machinarium. I'm not sure how to to properly pronounce it. It's a, a Polish company called Amanita Design. It was composed by a person that uh, is called Flex. Uh, it's, his name is Thomas Dvorak, but uh, it, I think that the soundtrack was under his moniker Flex, but I'm not 100% sure at this time. But uh, it's a great electronic soundtrack with brilliant production. It's just so, so, so beautiful to listen to and it is very nice. And maybe an, a third soundtrack that I would recommend just to cover a little bit of the orchestral side also. I'm torn because I, I really do love the soundtrack of Hitman 2, but uh, I would say that you can check out Austin Vin- Wintory's Banner Saga trilogy, which is a brilliant... It's not exactly orchestral because it's heavily focused on brass and has some other string instruments and stuff, but it's kind of you know the, the ensemble acoustic soundtrack which uh, I would definitely say is worth listening to. So I'll I'll stick with those three and uh, leave it there. I'm currently wrapping up a game I've been working for a long time. It's a sequel to Risk of Rain, Risk of Rain 2, and uh, we've been at it for, I think, almost three years now. Most of the soundtrack is already available as an early access album, but now I'm in the process of uh, writing uh, the final few tracks, mastering the entire thing, and preparing for the the final proper release that will go out on all streaming services and all that stuff. So if people want to check something out, that might be the thing. You can find it on Bandcamp, you can find it on YouTube. So I think that's that's the thing. And then other projects lined up after that that are far into the future to talk about right now. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the new and exciting version of the Ragbag Podcast. It's bigger, it's better, and for as long as I can manage it, it is going to be every week. Massive thanks to Chris Christodoulou. He was great. Links to all Chris's music are in the show notes. Check out frankburton.co.uk just because it's a really good website. Buy my books. See you all very soon. That lady is now my wife. Podcast is part of Britpod Scene, an independent network of uniquely British podcasts that's always growing. Check out BritpodScene.com or follow Britpod Scene on Twitter to find out more. Oh.